0: welcome to love and life i'm dr karen anderson abril here with my co-host
1: pastor elliot anderson
0: and love and life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research psychotherapy
1: and biblical truth
0: to help us thrive in love and life Dr. Duana Welch needs no introduction to the Love and Life audience. You have made her your fan favorite for many years now, and her book, Love Factually, is a must read for the Love and Life community. And I know, Duana, from our conversations, and you've even jumped in to join me for a group session in the past, that your book is not only read by our community, but it's also passed around. It is recommended. So we've been just feeling very... Thrilled to have you as part of our broader community and part of the Love & Life family. And now, this is the first time, however, that you have met my new co-host, Pastor Elliot Anderson, who is also a psychotherapist and also works in the love realm but he works with couples. You work primarily with singles. And so this is going to be a lot of fun to see where you guys overlap and where your philosophies integrate and how what Dwayna does on the front end can help Elliot's work later. If it's been done as a single individual moving toward couplehood desiring partnership and fun fact for the audience, Dr. Welch and Elliot have had a rivalry that neither of them, well, Elliot did know about. I did not Because <laughs> she's <go>. competitive. But <laughs> Dwayne is just learning this for the first time that her episodes were always top-ranked as far as listenership. So... We were always getting the most listens from the Love Factually episodes, and Elliot said because he's a competitive former athlete, well, current athlete too, but former Former collegiate athlete, (laughs) he was like, wait a minute, who's this person, (laughs) and how do I get to top her numbers? And so anyway, that's just uh, been revealed to Dwayna right here in
2: real time. Thank you. That is the best send-up, and I'm thrilled to meet Elliot, and I- Elliot did not know about this rivalry, but I think it's a lot of fun nevertheless. <laughs> yes, yeah,
1: so the rivalry is not to uh, demean either of us or it's just bless our audience, help them and be encouraged and strengthened. So if the listeners respond to you and to me, great. Now we can do it together.
0: Exactly. And Perfect. today's topic is going to be a fun one. Uh, Dwayne and I were talking about kind of what topic we wanted to cover And she has, in her practice, a lot of people who find themselves, and then I checked with Elliot, and he says, yes, there's a lot there. And I think we've all experienced it to some degree when we've been on the dating scene longer than maybe we wanted to, or even if we weren't on the dating scene all that long. Why can't I just find myself excited about the nice guy? Why do I have to chase these bad boys? What's so alluring about a guy who can take or leave me? And yet the nice guy who's there and committed and consistent, I'm like, meh. (laughs) What do you think, Duana?
2: You know, I spent quite a bit of time thinking about this because we talked about doing this. And then I, last night at the 11th hour, thought, you know, I need to think about this a little more deeply than usual. So I think it comes down to three things. There's probably a lot more, but these are the three that I thought about. One of them is attachment style. You know me, attachment style, attachment style, attachment style. (laughs)
0: Yes.
2: The second one is personality, disagreeable versus agreeable, and the third is our society. Our society says disagreeable men are going to be more successful. And when you look at how women act when they're young women, when they're in high school, they usually do prefer disagreeable males. They prefer disagreeable young men because if you look at high school, many times it is the disagreeable young men who do get the status, the prestige. Often there, I'm totally generalizing here. I apologize to any nice guys who, like my husband, mm-hmm. were on all the sports teams and very popular and nice guys. We all know the guys who are not so nice, who really are so popular in high school. And of course, women at every age seek status in a partner, they all seek it. So you're cutting your teeth on an age group that has something that's not going to serve you very well. So I think there's some cultural expectation there as well. But I, I really believe like it's all those things. Even women in midlife believe that nice guys finish last. And I've just read research the other day that went along with research I read 10 years ago that went along with research from 10 years before that, they all say the same thing, which is nice guys finish first. They're more likely to be promoted. They're less likely to be fired. They're more likely to be in management positions, leadership positions, because they get along with people. So I think young women are lured by the status of disagreeable men. Disagreeable men, however... Are not very good husbands, fathers, and employees or employers. They're not, and so I just thought, oh, disagreeable. How disagreeable are we talking about? First of all, I should probably tell people what I mean when I say disagreeable. I'm talking about research, of course, by McCrae and, and Costa from the 80s, where they found that there are five personality factors that are found well everywhere in the world to the extent that it's been measured, which is extensively, and the, they can be summarized by the word canoe or the word ocean. O is openness to experience versus people who new experiences may be more off-putting. They don't want to have new thoughts and new experiences in their life. The C is for conscientiousness. I want to do it just right versus people who, eh, good enough. You don't want an engineer who goes, yeah, no, that looks fine <laughs> 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 uh, on the bridge that you're about to drive over. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that, and by the way, it's like North and South Pole. Very few people live at the North and South Pole. Most of us are more toward the middle. But people who are more conscientious, they want all the eyes dotted. You want a CPA who's conscientious. You want an engineer who scores really high on conscientiousness. And then other people are more loosey-goosey, and those people are less conscientious usually. Openest experience, conscientious, the E is for extroversion, people who are outgoing, I want to emphasize also, these traits can change in response to things. For example, new research since the pandemic is showing people are less extroverted than they were. They are. And research already showed before then, as we get older, we tend to become less extroverted. So there's a natural tendency to become a little more introverted for most people most of the time. Science does not say, what's going to happen to you next Wednesday, Tim? It doesn't say that. Or Elliot, it doesn't say that. It says Here's what happens to most people most of the time. Most of us become a little more introverted. Most people became more introverted as a result of the pandemic. So now we've got openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion versus introversion. The A is agreeableness, agreeable versus disagreeable. And this one is extremely important for dating and for marriage. It is more important than the other ones. I'm gonna just give you some examples that I know, of course, from research. Men who score as disagreeable on Costa McCray's inventories, which you can get for free online, you can all do them, they are much more likely to hit or verbally abuse, physically or verbally abuse a partner. And I just wrote down, I went and looked at some literature and just wrote down some synonyms for disagreeable. These are qualities that are found in highly disagreeable people. So here we go manipulative dishonest, callous, dysregulated, meaning I can't control my emotions, unforgiving, irresponsible, and blaming of others. Again, personality can change. So if you recognize yourself here, personality can change. If on the other hand, you think, oh, I'll find a bad boy and I'll change him. No, they're not going to change that much unless they felt like changing. These are qualities that are going to ruin almost any relationship. Long term relationship. And yet, what I've seen a lot is women who come to me and men who come to me, but especially women who, because men don't value this very much in a woman, it tends to be in the heterosexual world, women who are valuing this in men. Again, I think because young men often are rewarded for aggression, even though that doesn't happen so much as they roll along through life. So, what I see a lot of is women who have been with men like this and then they come to me and we identify the character qualities of a future good mate and they say i met someone like that but i just wasn't attracted to him and i say at this point in my career how i like to put it is i met someone like that and i wasn't attracted because he was like that this is one reason though disagreeable men They're very appealing to young women. I will say, by the time people come to me, a lot of times women have grown very tired of that dynamic. They don't want it anymore, but they don't know how to shift. And then the other thing is, when you listen to those synonyms for disagreeable, those are synonyms for a lot of personality disorders. They are synonyms for what's called the dark triad, which the dark triad... Of personality traits is and disorders is associated with almost every negative relationship outcome you can think of. Machiavellianism, meaning I'll do anything as long as it suits my purpose. Sociopathology, meaning I care only about myself and I actually enjoy hurting other people. And narcissism, which means your feelings just don't rate with me. It's all about me, and I'll do whatever I need to. This is all closely related. So my hypothesis. I don't know if I'm right, that when somebody is highly disagreeable, possibly they fall into one of these other categories. But even if we didn't label it, folks, this isn't going to get you anywhere in America.
1: Duana, finished N for Ocean.
2: Oh, thank you. (laughs) Neuroticism. Now, they've changed this one, and I can't remember what they changed it to. But neuroticism doesn't mean, it means somebody who is high on anxiety and depression. That's what it means that they score highly on measures of anxiety and depression. And then there are people who don't. There are people who score as being very relaxed and optimistic. And so, again, most people don't live entirely at the North or South Pole, but we do know the pandemic changed the aggregate, meaning the group, results. And the group results in the United States and other industrialized countries show that as a result of the pandemic, seemingly... And I say seemingly because this is correlational data. We didn't randomly assign some people to experience a pandemic. We all were there. It seems people are more depressed, more anxious, and less extroverted and more disagreeable. In other words, personality can change, and the pandemic didn't change it in a positive direction. So it's something I didn't plan to say today. But if you find that you're thinking, oh my gosh, that's me, or that's my kids, because it hit kids harder than it hit other people. About a third of girls who are 13 are now saying that they've thought of suicide. That's, tr- that's beyond troubling. That's despair. So if you find that you or someone that you love is feeling that way, there's also a lot of research on how to feel better. And one of the biggest ways to feel better is, and this is research I read just last night, Turn the pursuit of happiness away from looking for the emotional state and turn it toward defining happiness as being highly connected with other people and then find groups of people you would like to be connected with. sprained my ankle so badly a week ago. The kind of sprain that they say, you're looking at months to recover. Mm -hmm. And nevertheless, I went to church yesterday because I need my people. And I really realized that during the pandemic, I need my people. Staying mm-hmm. on Zoom was not enough. I need my people. Mm-hmm. Was it T.S. Eliot who said, only connect? That was his epigram. He said, only connect. That has stuck with me. Because really, if we only connect, we will be happier. Now, it does matter who you connect with. I've just been explaining that. You connect with somebody highly disagreeable, it's not going to be right. to your happiness. But when you choose a group of people and you choose to... Integrate with them and you choose to perhaps volunteer with them, do things for the group, go beyond yourself, it measurably increases people's happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of connecting with others. So, just like the pandemic seems to have, seems logical, right? The pandemic happened and then people's personality changed. We've got pre and post data here. Lots of data on personality before, lots of data after the data changed. So I'm thinking it's probably the pandemic. And that was a time of disconnection. People really do need other people.
1: I like to use PTSD with pandemic as the P, because I think it did send the entire society into trauma and different people respond differently to trauma and are still impacted by it. So as a former disagreeable bad boy, Duana, I want to give you a little bit of that perspective from my masculine side, completely agreed with everything you said and the whole societal framework. And your main points there. I love them. I think often disagreeable men when we're young and choosing to find identity through that aggression and that breaking the rules and going outside of the lines does naturally draw some feminine nurturance and nature, almost a little bit of the old taming perspective. So I was drawn to similar spirited women but who were contained and controlled, who had that edginess or had some feistiness, but also didn't want to be in trouble with the law or the principal or the dean. And I wonder at times when I'm working with couples then that are, like you said, at that point where they married the disagreeable man and now they're tired of it. And it's frustrating because there's not a lot of change and we're still in the dark triangle every day. I often see When we go back into the history a little bit about the attachment and how they've developed that relationship, a lot of recapitulation, a lot of father wounds with a disagreeable father who did not give her the attachment she deserved, the cherishing, the honoring, the feminine appraise. And she now is trying to get that in a healing fantasy, if you will, get that from her man And the enjoyment of that dance early quickly fades. We think about ocean. I teach Costa McCray Ocean as well in my personality class. When we talk about it in class, we talk about you don't want to be in the ocean in a boat with a highly neurotic, disagreeable, anxious, (laughs) angry person. So making sure you know who's in the boat with you because otherwise the ocean is not so pretty anymore. It's pretty overwhelming. And so I think about that correlation and that recognition. And so a lot of the ladies I work with, that have been hurt severely abused cheated on betrayed lied to deceived all those things when they are trying to heal and find the new man that nice guy is actually way more intimidating than another bad boy the nice guy doesn't make sense (laughs) i've had so many clients say things like he really cares he really pays attention to who i am and what i'm doing and respects my boundaries and calls me ahead of time and thanks me. And so it's almost like relearning, isn't it? Kind of retraining the brain and in your work, hopefully prior to those attachments sealing up that you can help them look for the right thing in the right way. Because often that confusion, it it blocks people from receiving the care and love and the secure attachment they're longing for because that they're looking for that edge and that disagreeableness that is really faulty.
0: I love it. It makes me think of... The recapitulation for sure. And then getting to that. And this is the piece that I think is critical and feels hardwired. And I'd love for you both to speak to this because the woman's going to say in my head, intellectually, I know I need someone in that boat with me in the ocean who is all the positive ends of the spectrum. And yet when I meet that guy, I'm either like you said earlier, Dwayne, I'm either not attracted to him, but even further, they can be like, I get the ick. Like, it's just like, it's beyond me. It's like he, I'm turned off, even though I recognize in my head that this, these are all the things I tell myself I want, but I can't. And the part that feels hardwired, as I was saying, is the part that feels like, how can I change my attraction to someone? Because we think of, I'm that guy's hot to me, that guy's not to me. And it feels so very physical, biological. And we want to feel those butterflies for the good guy. And yet we just don't. And then sometimes we just go, forget it. I guess I'm attracted to who I'm attracted to. So what do you guys say to that?
2: There are so many good points there. I'm struggling (laughs) with where to begin. First, Elliot, I love the whole idea of your canoe being in the ocean. That's fantastic. I'm using it from now on. Take it. It's all yours. Thank you. (laughs) It's yours, but I'm still taking it. (laughs) Together we're in it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I love that. Second of all, Dr. Karen, you did a great, that was a great way to describe how women are feeling. That was a really heartfelt description. That's how they feel. And now, fortunately, if we put ourselves in the ancestral past, which is where our emotions are from to guide us to make the choices that we make, not everything is from them. Obviously, our personal experiences, as Elliot just described, our personal experiences also have a lot to do with it. But in the ancestral past, if a woman only went with who she had the hots for, she might be in trouble pretty quickly. Men tend to know at a glance whether attraction is possible. Almost all men can procreate endlessly, but women can't. So this means men need to be able to know at a glance. Is this somebody who can cast my genes forward or not? They're very good at that. They don't have to use as Francis Bacon did, really and truly he did this, he used a sextant to measure women's waist to hip ratio from a distance. And they don't have to do that to know that she's fertile. They can just look and they can tell and they know whether they're attracted to that particular fertile woman. And what I tell women, because they'll say, oh, I'm not sure we met online. I'm not sure he's attracted to me. I said, he would never have reached out. That wouldn't have happened. Well, I don't know if I'm attracted to him. Yeah, because it makes sense. For you to withhold judgment. Unfortunately, the world of online dating, which I love the world of online dating, by and large, by the way, because it's a great tool if used properly. But the world of online dating puts everyone in the boat of, am I attracted to you or not right at first? And women are now and have been, I don't know, for 15 years now approaching me saying, I just don't get attracted to people at first, or the people I get attracted to at first are often not good for me, okay? Okay. Numerous studies, including studies that have been done in the last year or two, have shown that the biggest predictor of whether most men will cheat is whether they can. That how happy their committed relationship is doesn't have anything to do with whether they will, and that they are not less happy in their committed relationship as a result of having what the scientists call extra pair bond or matings and what I call cheating. So men see infidelity very differently. Most women see it, and because women, there when I was growing up, there was a country song called Lonely Women Make Good Lovers, and science completely (laughs) bears that one out. Happy wife, happy life, yes, in so many ways, including she's not gonna cheat on you. So, women, we tend to engage in something called mating centrism, thinking that the other gender thinks the way we do. When women don't seem to usually, it doesn't even make sense to me, and this is what I think about all the time. You mean that guy who's happily married is getting some on the side and then going home to his wife and it's all cool for him? It's, a, it's not bothering him. I'm not saying all men do this. Your mileage will definitely vary. It's, this is aggregate data, group data. Again, doesn't say what Elliot's going to do next Wednesday or ever, but it says what happens to most people most of the time. But anyway, ancestral mothers benefited from not just going with attraction, They benefited from instant attraction. They benefited from that attraction taking a while to develop depending on how committed this male seemed to be. One thing I would say is stop looking for the butterflies right away. I loved it when you used the word butterflies because I wrote a book called Love Factually for Single Parents and Those Dating Them. And one of my former clients allowed me to use a series of letters we wrote back and forth to each other when she was first dating this guy. And she kept sending me letters that said... I don't know, Dwayne. He's a really nice guy, but I'm a nice guy butt. That's why I call it nice guy butt syndrome. He's a really nice guy, but I, I just feel like I want to be his friend. I just want to talk to him. I don't want to touch him. I, I don't really want. I can't picture us kissing. I, I really don't know that I ever want him to hug me or hold or hold my hand. And I said, "Look, you close down a restaurant. You talk for six hours. You don't get that every day." He knows. He's a big boy. He knows he doesn't get every woman he goes for. He knows he's taking a risk. It's interesting to me how many women, and especially those of us who are anxious attachers, feel like we have to be responsible for the other party's emotional. We have to be respectful. But these are men. They compete for everything they have. I've never had a woman say to me, I heard your podcasts were the top rated ones, so I went after those. (laughs) The only person who said that to me was you, Elliot. (laughs) Yeah,
1: totally get it.
2: So the guy knows he's vying for her heart. This man really cared about her. He wasn't just looking for other parts. He was looking for her heart, and he knows he might not get it. He's been disappointed before, almost surely. And by the way, if you think the human world's brutal, in most of the rest of creation, one out of 10 males and sometimes one out of 100 get all the sex. So males are used to competing in every species, including ours. And I said, please let that go. Please don't do what I see so many anxious attachers do and say, I got to make my decision right now in case I hurt him. Feel free to be honest with him. I don't know if I'm attracted to you yet. I really like being with you. I'm seeing which way it goes. I understand if that doesn't work for you. You know what? He's going to be like, that works for me. I still have a chance. Absolutely. That's what he's going to do because men have been naturally selected to be highly competitive. He's got to go for it. If he really likes you, that's going to be fine. And it gives you a a safety valve. You can be like, I told him I'm not leading him on. I've been honest with him. It's not about being dishonest. But I would encourage women, one of the ways that you can be with a more agreeable partner is stop expecting yourself to be instantaneously attracted to that agreeable partner. Just stop. Allow yourself to spend time with him. In the case of this woman that we wrote letters back and forth, six weeks into me twisting her arm to keep going out with this guy, which I totally did. One of the things my clients are paying me for, since I'm not a therapist, is to (laughs) be strongly Yeah, I'm strongly (laughs) directive. And then, and I tell them, you know what, one of the reasons we got this list is so I can twist your arm when you don't want to go out with that guy or go out with that woman. And to be strongly directive and argue if I need to, she kept going out with him. And I said, look, I'm not asking you to only go out with him. You're not having sex with him. You're not even kissing the guy yet you've maintained a physical distance. He understands. You've given him the speech about how you date around until it's seeming like it's going to be serious and that you don't get physically involved until then. So he knows and he's showing up. He's a volunteer. You're not cajoling or manipulating anyone into anything here. See where it goes. And she did. And six weeks in, she sent me a letter that said, I've never had butterflies like this in my life. This is a woman who had been involved with bad boy after bad boy, all of whom had cheated on her, because here's another problem with instant attraction if you're a woman. Sad to say, women don't tend to be instantly attracted, but when we are, we're almost exclusively instantly attracted to the bad guys. And the bad guys tend to share what I call cheating's five usual suspects. And again, all based on research. Anytime it's not, I tell you, this is not based on research, but this is. They tend to be what I call Mr. Globetrotter, travel a lot for business, travel a lot for work. They tend to be Mr. Good-looking. He tends to be tall and handsome, athletic. Also Mr. Experience. He's had a lot of sexual experience, which has taught his body not to crank out the dopamine he needs to fall in love, which means he, even more than other guys, needs time to develop interest in you before the sex is had. Then there's the famous guy. If he's distinguished himself in some way among his peers, he's got more sexual opportunity. And almost all women will be attracted to him. And then there's Mr. All of the Above. He's the entire package. These men, if they're agreeable, at some point may settle down and be faithful. They may do it. But that's not really how dating is had right now. As Dr. Karen, because you read my book, I don't know, Elliot, if you have or not. But I talk about how word on the street is that most people are having sex on by the third date. And it turns out, actually, the norm right now is the first date.
1: I know that's true in the college world. So I'm not. Surprised yeah, to hear no, exactly. it's
2: honestly sex in dating has been more permissive among middle aged adults, usually than younger adults, always. By the time you're middle aged in dating, or even anywhere past your 20s in dating, everyone knows you probably had sex. This isn't your first rodeo, so to speak, an expected part of adulthood. And what are you waiting for? It's there's no barriers there. And what you're waiting for is not physically safe sex. It's emotionally safe sex. I wish we talked more about that. But so what I would say, long, long, long-winded answer is <laughs> expecting instant chemistry is a trap. Don't fall for it. Give yourself all the time you need. Give yourself the safety of an out. I just gave you a script for how to say that. Give yourself a safety of of an out where you're no longer responsible for his emotions because you've told him, I don't know how I feel, might grow, might not grow. If you're cool with that, I'd like to keep seeing you. And then if he's cool with that, he will. And if he's not, he'll leave. Honestly, if he leaves at that point, he was looking for quick sex, which wasn't happening anyway.
1: And you should be happy.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Barriers. It's putting a little barrier in place. It's saying, I don't know, so you're going to have to hop over this barrier. It may take a little while. And Any barrier tips in the stairs, and it tips out the players. Any barrier. They're all to your advantage. So, you know, give yourself that time. You have the luxury of time. Your ancestral mothers didn't have to decide the very first time they saw someone. And you don't either, no matter what technology you're using.
1: And the beauty of technology and online dating and the beauty of all of our societal More openness and understanding these things is that I think we've accidentally created a culture where we think we have instantaneously know.
2: We do. You're absolutely right.
1: I tell guys all the time, Dwayne, I tell guys, if you're not attracted at all right away, move on. And I tell women the exact opposite. If you're like, wow, this guy's safe and secure and strong and positive and really seems to appreciate me, give it a shot. That whole pacing piece you talked about. and, And Karen and I are not naive to the sexual bonds and their power. But recognizing that if a woman gives that to the bad boy early, she's going to get really confused. And the guy likely will not. He'll either know what he wanted, got it, and move on, or he might be drawn into the possibility of a longer, secure attachment. But if she's anxious, she's just created, in my opinion, she's doubled her anxiety now as she's with the disagreeable man in a bonded state and has to figure out what this navigation will look like.
2: Beautifully said. (laughs)
0: If you're interested in processing further as you align your mind, body, and spirit, we're here for you.
1: Head over to loveandlifemedia.com and click on the Work With Us tab. There you can book individual or couples sessions.
0: Or sign up for one of our support groups.
1: Purchase one session or a multiple session package.
0: We'd love to work with you. Sign up at loveandlifemedia.com. So there's
2: been research on Women and Men Who Divorced, Mavis Hetherington, I love that name, Mavis. It's a great name. Yeah. Dr. Mavis Hetherington did a 20-year study, the Virginia Longitudinal Study, where she looked at what happened to people who were considering divorcing and what happened to them in the years after they actually divorced. She found a lot of things. For example, divorce was much harder on people than they anticipated. It would be, I'm divorced. I'm not saying never, ever get divorced. There are times when that's what needs to happen. But she also found something that speaks directly to your point, which is very few people tried to commit suicide after they got divorced. But 100% of the people who did were women who got into casual sexual relationships. 100% of the people who did. There are other studies that show similar things. There's a scientist, she's now emeritus, she's retired, but Dr. Linda Waite, who is a sociologist out of the University of Chicago, she summarizes lots and and has conducted a lot of the research on what's the difference between being married and anything else. And she said single women who they're divorced and they have children their rate of depression is exceptionally high if they have casual sex or if they move in with somebody who didn't propose and plan the wedding before the move in. High rates of anxiety, high rates of depression. So I would take your statement about doubling it. And it's probably even more than that.
1: Yeah, that's sad. And I know from the research, Duena and Karen, that for young women, like high school aged women, early sexual relationships is the quickest predetermined depressive cycle as well. Whereas for men, it's more about the addictions. Young men with drinking too much, starting heroin, cocaine, painkillers. So again, interesting how the male is more about his own personal choices, the woman about the choices with someone, which I think, again, goes into some traditional, historical, ancestral gender.
2: Yeah. Did you know women go through puberty faster if there's a stepdad in the house? I remember that from my developmental
0: courses, yeah.
2: They go through puberty faster and one of the hypotheses, of course we don't know exactly why that happens, but one of the hypotheses is she needs to develop faster so she can get out. Mm
0: -hmm. She can
2: mate and get out. And a lot of times those early sexual experiences, many of them were not chosen. For sure. Mm -hmm.
0: No surprise, Dewena, Elliot, and I had plenty to talk about, so we decided to break up this episode into two parts. So we'll wrap up our conversation next week, continuing with the theme of why can't I fall for the nice guy, along with anxious attachment, and all the things grounded in psych research, of course, along with Elliot's examples from all the couples he's worked with over the years. Thank you, as always, for being part of the Love and Life family. We so appreciate you. If you have a second to head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the program, that helps others find the show and join the Love and Life community. Thanks again for spending a portion of your day with us. And until next time, make it a great week.
1: Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer Dr. Kieran Anderson April